Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Live. I'm glad that you guys are here. If you haven't already, feel free to share uh, the feed on whatever platform that you're on. For those of you who are new, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Church, and thanks so much for joining us online. It's good to have everybody, and we're going to continue on in our series uh, this morning called I Saw Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking at the stories of the post-resurrection but pre-ascension connections that Jesus made with his disciples and others. And what we're seeing over and over is that when people saw Jesus, they began to believe. Now, we don't get to see Jesus physically uh, right now anymore with our own eyes, uh, but we get to experience Jesus. And so we'll talk about uh, how those things, uh, though it's a little different, how it is in many ways still the same. And so we're in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 20. And we're going to look at the story this morning that is most famously known as Doubting Thomas, uh, though Thomas might get a little bit of a negative rap. And so I'll explain that a little bit. Our series started on Easter Sunday when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, and that was her exclamation after she had seen Jesus. She ran back to the disciples and said, I saw him. I, I saw Jesus. And the disciples responded by, well, not really doing too much. Instead, that night, Sunday, Easter night, they were locked in a room. They were afraid of the Jews, and they were just hanging out. And all of a sudden, Jesus supernaturally appeared before them, and then they saw Jesus. And so what we're seeing and what we are seeing is a pattern. Mary saw Jesus with their own eyes, told the disciples. It didn't really affect them all that much. Then they saw Jesus with their own eyes. And in our story today, they tell that to Thomas. Now, for whatever reason, we don't exactly know why. And so uh, all we could do is speculate. Thomas wasn't with the other 10 disciples in the room when Jesus showed up. And so at some point after that moment, Thomas has a conversation with the rest of the disciples, and it was similar to the conversation that those disciples had had with Mary. They look at Thomas in John chapter 20, uh, verse 25, and they say to him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, we saw Jesus. And Thomas gives them this response. He says, unless I see in his hands, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless all of that, I will never believe. I just can't believe it unless I see it. Now, it is easy to look at Thomas and say, you are a doubter. How could you not believe your 10 friends who you've spent the last few years with? They told you that you saw Jesus. How can you not believe them? And it brings up this question. Do our doubts disqualify us from faith? Do our doubts disqualify us from a relationship with Jesus? Uh, Thomas says, unless this, I will never believe. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it's right for us. I just lost my water. I don't think it's right for us as Christians to, uh, to, to um, rebel against God or to uh, test God in such a way that makes us equal with him, where we get to look at God and say, well, God, you have to do this. And if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm not going to believe in you. There's a line there that we can cross that isn't okay. 
But part of this story, part of the beauty of this story is seeing how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubts. Because if you're anything like me, there's probably been a point in your life where you've wondered, is all of this true? Can I place my entire life, all of my hopes into the story that I'm seeing or that I'm reading and that I'm hearing about? And maybe you didn't come to faith right away. Maybe it took some um, ongoing experiences. Maybe you were like Thomas and you had friends who said, I've experienced Jesus. I saw Jesus. And you said, that's great. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you saw Jesus, but I want to see Jesus. I want to have a personal experience with Jesus. And maybe where you're at is your faith is still connected to your friends or your parents or your pastor, or somebody else, but you're still saying, I want to see Jesus for myself. I want to have a personal encounter with Jesus. See, in these 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension, there were 40 days. It seems like uh, seeing Jesus personally wasn't an unrealistic request, especially for the disciples. All of the disciples saw Jesus personally. In fact, the apostles, which is a term that is going to be used to the early founders of the church and the early leaders of the Christian church, one of the requirements of being an apostle was to have seen Jesus with your own eyes. And so what Thomas is asking here and what Thomas is saying isn't outrageous. If Thomas is doubting Thomas, then every other one of the disciples is doubting and then their name because they were all looking for the same thing, to see the risen Jesus with their own eyes. And so Thomas said, you saw him, I wanna see him. And unless I see him, I'm not gonna believe because you didn't believe until you saw him. So Thomas's request here really isn't that unrealistic. It's a request for an impersonal encounter with Jesus. It's a request that I hope each and every one of you have, that you want to experience Jesus personally that even in the midst of some doubts you may have right now, that those doubts would be reconciled because you have such a personal encounter with Jesus that you can no longer say, I don't believe. You would respond with, of course I believe. I've, I've experienced him in such a way. It's like I saw him with my own eyes. And so Thomas says this in this conversation with the disciples. And then eight days later, Now, the way they counted days back then is they counted the days that it happened. So this was obviously happening on Easter Sunday, the conversation between Thomas and the other 10 disciples. Uh, And so eight days later, that day, then seven more days, which would have been a Sunday after Easter. And so think about that week. The disciples had seen the risen Jesus, but we don't have any other um, recordings of connections with Jesus during that week. And so we don't know where Jesus went that week, but he wasn't hanging out with the disciples. And so for that seven days, you would think, well, these disciples must have gone crazy. I mean, they must have been telling everybody, right? Well, no, not really. Uh, Because eight days later or seven days later, the, the week later on that Sunday, Thomas and those disciples are hanging out and they're up in the upper room and the door is locked and there's still fear. In other words, there really hasn't been that much change in the disciples and Thomas. Uh, Thomas hadn't seen them. They had seen them, but they're still kind of living the same way. 
And so Thomas's doubts, Thomas's doubts haven't yet been uh, reconciled. They haven't yet been taken care of. He's still doubting. Now within that, uh, and within this story, I, I think one of the things that we begin to see is evidence building on the actual resurrection of Jesus. Later, the Apostle Paul, much later. Uh, by the way, the Apostle Paul, why was he called the Apostle Paul? Because he had a personal saw Jesus moment. Even after Jesus had ascended up into heaven, he came back down to earth and he made himself available to one more person, Paul, so that Paul could see the risen Jesus. And so Paul then writes later uh, that the resurrection is essential to our faith. That, that the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead is so important. In fact, he goes on to say this, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then everything we do is futile. Everything we do is worthless. Jesus had to have risen from the dead. So for some of us who have doubts about the Christian faith, one of those doubts circulates around, is this resurrection thing actual? Is it real? And so part of this story, like you and I, like Thomas, uh, we want some proof of a resurrection. I mean, this is a supernatural thing. Now, let me say this. Intellect alone will never bring you into salvation. But you don't have to check your intellect at the door to be a Christian. This story and other stories give us great reason to believe that the resurrection was real, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Let's talk about some of those proofs. One of the proofs is the disciples themselves. Look at these guys. They're supposed to be the heroes of the Christian faith. But immediately after Jesus' resurrection, are they full of courage? Are they bold? Are they running around telling everybody Jesus rose from the dead? No, they're fearful. They, they are the guys who wrote these stories, by the way. They wrote the gospel of John. Uh, they wrote the other gospel accounts. And how do they make themselves look? Like heroes? No, almost foolish. And so sometimes history wants to paint these uh, disciples, the 11 disciples, like they were just gullible people who would go along with anything. But early on in the story, that's not who they were at all. They actually didn't believe in the resurrection. What made them believe in the resurrection was proof. They saw Jesus with their own eyes. And it was then the proof of that resurrection that began to change them. And so these aren't just a group of gullible people who are going to go along with anything. These were men and women like you and I who wanted some evidence of a resurrection. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write this, that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus. Over 500 people, and that was just at one time, saw the risen Jesus. You know that letters and um, uh, history written around that time, uh, there aren't um, um, documented or great proofs against the resurrection of Jesus in that time uh, that would stand up to the same amount of evidence that the scriptures would stand up that the resurrection was true. In fact, from a historical perspective, we would trust the documents more that say that the resurrection did happen than anything that would say that it didn't happen. Over 500 people at one time seeing something this supernatural and the message of that began to spread. It was one of the reasons that the movement spread so rapidly. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so if you're somebody who needs uh, to connect your intellect more into your faith, study the resurrection study the historical evidence of it. I say that with full confidence because I know that the more you actually intellectually look into the story of Christ's resurrection, there's a great 
chance then that you'll begin to believe more because the evidence is overwhelming. But alas, intellect itself won't save us. Our faith still has an element of faith to it. And intellect even has to bring us up to a point of confession. And so for Thomas, it's not just seeing Jesus that's going to bring him his salvation. It's going to be seeing Jesus and then the confession that's going to follow. Let's pick up the story. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. If you ever think church is kind of like a pattern, it's the same thing over and over, it feels like that sometimes. Well, we actually get that from the Bible because here the first two weeks or the first two Sundays after Jesus's resurrection, we're basically seeing a repeated pattern. The disciples are in a upper room, the doors are locked. Jesus supernaturally shows up and says the exact same words to them again. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And what we're going to see here is an interaction between Thomas and Jesus that mirrors the interaction between Thomas, or I'm sorry, between Jesus and the other disciples a week earlier. Now, a week earlier, uh, I taught on the four gifts of the resurrection. Let me remind you of those. And I hope for those of you who joined us last week that these four gifts were present in your life last week. The first gift uh, that we talked about last week was how because Jesus has resurrected, we can move from fear to peace. Exactly what Jesus says right here. Peace be with you. That peace is the absence of fear. It's the presence of calm and it's a reinvigoration of your spirit. It's uh, being in, uh, enlivened again to, uh, to live out of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that we now have an eternal life with him, that the worst that can happen to us in this life is death. But then when that happens, we get to spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. And so I hope this week you've had this peace. Last week, we saw the second gift. The second gift was moving from sorrow to joy, that we now have a joy, a happiness, a gladness because Jesus rose from the dead, because he conquered death. It's a joy that is like a universal joy uh, that, that is waiting for us at the end of life. Uh, but then there's also situational joy. Uh, there's just the knowledge of our salvation so that we can wake up every morning. That's why we've been doing this in the morning. Join me tomorrow at 7.30 to remind ourselves of the joy that we have in Jesus, the happiness that we have now that we have a relationship with Christ. And so I, I hope you've known that joy or that, that happiness. The third gift that we talked about last week was that when we experience Jesus in this way, we move from inactive to active. We're given a mission. And so I hope more than ever before that this week has been aligned around waking up every day to pursue the mission of Jesus. And what was that mission? We talked about it last week. Spreading the message that our sins are forgiven because of Jesus's death, that we're given eternal life because of his resurrection. That's the aim of our lives now, to expand and to extend that message to the world. And then last week, we saw the fourth gift as well. When Jesus said, uh, he said he breathed on them and they, they were given new life. They moved from old to new. And so we're new in Jesus. And so Jesus now is gonna have a very similar interaction with Thomas. He's gonna look at Thomas and he's gonna say, peace be with you. And then he's gonna say these words in verse 27. He's going to say, put your finger here and see, see my hands 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Notice Jesus doesn't show up and say, Thomas, I can't believe you didn't believe the witness of your friends. Thomas, I can't believe that you didn't just hear them and immediately respond. No, instead Jesus shows up in his great love, in his great wisdom, in his great knowledge, and he meets Thomas exactly where Thomas is at. And that's exactly what I want Jesus to do for you. It's exactly what, I, what, what it took for me to come to salvation. I had lots of people in my life who had told me about their experiences with Jesus, but you know what I needed? My own experience with Jesus. You know what you need? Your own experience with Jesus. High school student, middle school student, this isn't your parents' faith. It's your faith. It's not about their encounters with Jesus. It's about your encounter with Jesus. Maybe you grew up in the church and you've been far away from it. And one of the things is you never thought like you had experienced Jesus for yourself. Well, ask him to meet you. Don't, don't, don't test God. Don't um, put yourself on an equal playing field with God. But say, God, I, I need to experience you for myself. I, I need to know you like my friends know you or like somebody else knows, I wanna know you for myself. I think that's a very fine prayer. I think it's very okay for you to say, I wanna have a personal encounter with you, Jesus. And I think that he's loving enough, that he's good enough, that he's kind enough to meet you where you're at. That if you pray, Jesus, help me to believe, meet me where I'm at, that he'll do that that he loves you that much, that he wants you to have that personal experience. When Jesus meets Thomas where he's at, how does Thomas respond? He responds with these words, my Lord and my God. I mean, this is a confession of faith. In fact, some would say that this was the first confession of faith post the resurrection of Jesus. Thomas crying out, my Lord and my God. You are my Lord. Uh, you're my Lord and you're my God. You're my master. You're my Lord. You're, you're, you're the ruler of my life now. You're my God. I, I trust in your power. I trust in your grace. I, I trust in your strength. You are my Lord and you are my God. And it's a confession of faith. How does the Christian respond? Or how does a person, how are they supposed to respond when they have an encounter with Jesus? With a personal confession. See, personal experience leads to personal confession. And so it's not enough just to experience or to uh, metaphorically see Jesus. We then have to respond. We have to confess out, you are my Lord and you are my God. And another part of scripture says we repent and believe. For Thomas to say, my Lord and my God, what he's saying is this, I, I, I now I see the proof of your resurrection. And what Jesus was saying there when he said, uh, uh, see my hands and, and touch my side, he was saying, remember my death, but see my resurrection. What's the process of our salvation? It's, it's remembering Jesus's death on the cross as the payment of our sins, but it's seeing or believing in his resurrection as the power for new life. And so what do we do then? We respond as Thomas did, you are now my Lord and my God. I repent of my sin. I believe in this story, my Lord and my God. A personal confession from a personal experience. Have you had that personal confession? Have you had that, that moment where you confess sin, where you, where you declared Jesus as your Lord and your God? 
See, sometimes we think, well, no, but I've been around church long enough. I mean, I've been around people of faith long enough. I grew up in church. I did this, I did that. Let there be a moment of personal confession. Let there be a moment where in your heart, you remember his death, you see the proof of his resurrection, you believe it, and you, with, um, with heart bowed, you, you, you proclaim, you are now my Lord and my God. A personal experience leading to a personal confession. And so this is what Thomas does. He, he, he believes in Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He declares him as his Lord and his God. Now, after this, after this, uh, Jesus responds to Thomas like this. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, sometimes I think we inappropriately or incorrectly read this last part and we think, ah, yeah, uh, Jesus is telling Thomas, well, you should have believed without seeing me. Well, not necessarily what he's saying there. What he's saying is you have believed because you have seen you have believed because you have seen, because I met you where you were at. And Jesus had to uh, meet all of these disciples between this period of time like this, where, where they got to see him physically in, in the flesh. But for the rest of us now, Jesus has ascended up into heaven. We're not gonna get to see him. But for those of us who have had a personal encounter with Jesus, what's some of the language that we use? It's metaphorical, but we say things like, Man, when I, when I met Jesus, when I met him, well, did you meet him physically? No, but, but it's like the same idea. It's like when you met Jesus. But now we don't meet Jesus face to face in the same way, but we still, we still meet Jesus. And some of you, you've had this moment. This Man, it was a born again moment. It's like I met Jesus. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. You saw him in prayer. You, you saw him in a worship night. You, you, you met Jesus. Now, because we don't see Jesus anymore, what does this last part of this text teach us? Well, it elevates the importance of a few things. And so for those of us who have seen Jesus practically or or, or like spiritually, we've experienced Jesus. Now, because other people don't get to see Jesus in the flesh, um, it elevates at least three things. Let me me share them with you today. Uh, One of the things it elevates is the evidence of people's lives changed. So when Thomas talked to the 10 disciples and they said, hey, we saw Jesus. Look at this from Thomas's perspective. Okay, you saw Jesus, our friend, master, teacher. Uh, He was dead. You saw him alive, but you're still participating in the feasts uh, that are connected to the old covenant and you're still locked up in a room afraid but you saw Jesus risen from the dead. Maybe one of the reasons that Thomas didn't believe is because he's looking at the 10 people who have seen Jesus and their lives really haven't changed that much. They're still tied in part to the old covenant and they're still living in fear. And so one of the things that matters now immensely for us as Christians, because we have experienced Jesus, is that first, we have no more connection back to the old covenant. And one of the things that stops people from believing us when we say we've seen Jesus is in ways we're still tied to the old covenant. Guess what Romans teaches us? You are dead to the law. You are dead to the old covenant. The old covenant was fulfilled. It ended. Something better is here now. The new covenant of grace and mercy and God's love. And so I'm not old covenant and new covenant. We're now new covenant completely. We are dead to the law. We are free in Jesus. 
And our ties back to the old covenant can actually prohibit people from believing that we've seen Jesus because they still see us tied to the law instead of the freedom we're supposed to have in Jesus. And also, when we're just as afraid after Jesus as we were before Jesus, how is anyone gonna believe that we've seen Jesus? No, peace be with you. See your sorrow turned into joy. Jesus is risen. Be new, not old. Jesus is risen. Be on mission. Show forgiveness. Be about the mission of Jesus. Why? Because you've seen him. It's changed everything. And when the gospel then really moves in us and we, we disconnect from the old covenant and we experience the four gifts of the resurrection, then people look in and they go, oh, I believe you saw Jesus because you're different. You're different. The other thing this elevates now is the importance of preaching. As Romans says, how can people uh, be changed unless they hear the gospel? And how can people hear the gospel unless somebody preaches the gospel? And how can someone preach the gospel unless they've been sent to preach the gospel? So you look and you say, well, Stephen, you've been sent to preach the gospel. You're right, I have. And so I'm gonna keep preaching. I'll preach every Sunday morning. I'll preach every Wednesday night. I'll preach every morning and in the morning. And I'll preach in my lives or in my life. I, don't, I only have one life. I'll preach in my life uh, when I'm doing everything else. But guess who else is sent to preach? You, you are. Maybe not on Facebook Live, but in your family and to your friends and with your life, we're all now called to proclaim and to preach the gospel. This is the, the universal call on all of our hearts that all of us have one mission, that people would know this message, that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, that the penalty is paid, that he rose from the dead to give you new life. That's all that matters, friends. And every church service and every dollar given and everything that we do is to go back to one thing, to make sure that people know their sins are forgiven because of Jesus's death that they've been given new life because of his resurrection. We have to get that message out in everything that we do. You know, the third thing that this elevates is the power of the Holy Spirit. It elevates the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because conversion doesn't happen unless the Holy Spirit is present. And so um, for me, this changes my prayer life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, please, please make yourself known. Change that person's heart. And so my favorite prayer, um, when I pray for my um, friends who don't know Jesus, I don't wanna pray, Lord, make them smart enough. Make them smart enough to experience you. What I wanna pray is, Holy Spirit, oh, just grab their heart so that they'll cry out like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Also, see these disciples, we're gonna watch them over the next few weeks and they're really all not that different. And they're a little bit, but they're still wrestling with this old life and this new life. And something's gonna change for them in a couple of weeks. And it's the fifth gift that we talked about last week. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in a different way. We call it the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment when they experienced that, the fifth gift, that everything changed for them. And so friends, you know what we're gonna need as individuals and as a church? We're gonna need that fifth gift the power, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, an anointing, there's lots of different words for it. We'll talk about it in a few weeks, but we'll need that fifth gift as well. So this morning, this morning, if you've never had that personal experience with Jesus, would you ask him for it? If you experience it, would you confess to him, you're my Lord and my God? Would you confess your sin? Would you 
remember his death and see his resurrection and experience new life in him. And this morning, if you've already done that, if you've already done that, do you see the importance of these three things? Your life changed by the gospel. Partnering with a church and on your own, proclaiming the message of the gospel. This message has to get out and it has to get out. No one can be saved without the message of the gospel. And then the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray that the Holy Spirit would change the people in your life who don't know Jesus? Would you ask for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you would be more bold in proclaiming the gospel? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you meet us where we're at. And right now I pray that you would meet people listening right now where they're at, that they would know, that they would know you love them, that your death paid their sins on the cross. If that's you right now and you've never prayed that prayer, would you call out to God right now, you are my Lord and my God. Would you believe in the gospel? The scripture says, if you pray that you are saved for the rest of us, may our lives reflect that we've seen Jesus. May we be about the mission of proclaiming his gospel and may we be reliant upon his Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.